Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's great to have this privilege together to assemble here in this place and worship our Heavenly Father together and to uh, lift these songs to God in praise. And what a beautiful song service it was. So I'm very thankful to, to Mario and Jonathan for, for leading it and for all of you for, for participating in it and giving it the, the very best that you have. And that's really what is required, isn't it? Uh, the Lord requires nothing less than our best. And so we want to make sure that that's what we, what we give him. Thank you for being here. We have a number of visitors with you with us today, so let me give a little bit of a, a backstory to the, the reason we're speaking on fasting today. It's not because we feasted several times of, with, at the wedding the last couple of days, and that was quite a feast, quite a feasts, plural. And we're going to have lunch together today, and we hope that, that you'll participate in that feast with us uh, uh, as well. And that's not the reason we're talking about fasting today. But our church is looking forward to this coming late summer, early fall of going through a leadership review where men of the congregation will be considered to serve uh, in, an, in an office of an elder or deacon and that sort of thing. And, and so we began a process really last fall where we looked at all of the epistles uh, at, from a 30,000 foot view. We looked at each epistle, one speaker, one sermon, speak on the entire epistle, which was a challenge, as you can imagine, on some of them. And our speakers did a wonderful job on that. Then earlier this, this year, in fact, we just finished it up. We did a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of verses in Timothy and Titus. And these, these, this effort is, in, is helping the congregation to prepare for and go through that process. We, we have looked at how does the church organize? Who organizes it? Who's it? What offices are there and what are their responsibilities? What are the qualities that we're looking for to, of, of the men to serve in those respective offices? And, and how does this all work together? And how does the congregation work? And we looked at the letters from Paul specifically to Timothy and to Titus. It's kind of the field manual. This is the, the charge to the evangelist to go out there and to start a congregation and set it in order. And then after it's been set in order, there's a responsibility that the elders and the deacons and the teachers are to carry forth uh, that idea of keeping it in order uh, per the instructions that we have received from the Apostle Paul concerning how the church should operate. And obviously there are other aspects and other letters. Those were all incorporated in as we studied that. Fasting is an important element as you look towards uh, the ordaining process. Uh, it's important for other aspects as well. And we're going to look at the range of of areas that fasting uh, in, includes, but we also are wanting to, to focus a little bit on and make sure that we're ready as a congregation when the elders call the congregation to fast in regards to that ordination process that the, that the church is ready. They understand what the fasting is, what the requirements are, and what we're asking them to do. More information will be shared at that time as well. I am not covering every aspect of fasting today. Uh, we would be here till midnight if we were to do that. But what I've tried to do is take examples and snapshots that give us a range of uh, the, the history of fasting and, 
its involvement under the law of Moses as well as the covenant with Christ and where that where that works. But fasting is is older than the the covenant with Moses. Um, if you go around the world today and you go into all these different civilizations and cultures and those sorts of things, almost all of them have some form of the flood story as tied into their history. And no wonder, because after the flood, the families, the sons of, of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, those three sons, Ham went south into what we would consider to be the African continent. Shem more or less stayed in that area, but also migrated to the to the would be to the west uh, over into Asia, India and Asia and, and so forth. And Japheth went north through the Caucasus and up into uh, the European area and so forth. And so there's flood stories. Well, of course there would be because they all descended from Noah who, who survived that flood along with his three sons. Um, consequently, there are stories uh, throughout the world about fasting and fasting as a method of approaching your God. Now, we, we approach the one true God, and in some of their cases, they were false gods, but fasting was still kind of a part of that. And so you have these worldwide historical uh, elements of fasting uh, that sprung from, no doubt, Noah as well. Noah was instructed of God, and fasting may have been one of those things that he was, he was talked about. He gave it to his children, who gave it to their children, and so forth. We're going to spend time in Isaiah 58, 1 to 12 at the end. So we're going to come back to that. And so what is fasting? Literally, it means in the Hebrew to cover your mouth. In Greek, it means to abstain from, from food. So basically, it's, it's restricting nourishment to the body. And so we find that also these terms afflict the soul, chasing yourself, Seeking the Lord, humbling yourself, or these are descriptive terms that are often associated with fasting. Sometimes it talks about fasting, I, I afflicted my soul, and then fasting, or fasting and I afflicted my soul or humbled myself. So those terms are used uh, in, in reference to, to fasting. Fast, the word fasting may not even be mentioned, but if you see these terms, you know what they're, what they're involved in. Fasting is a component of that most often. Day can mean sunrise to sunset. Uh, basically the 12-hour day from 6 a.m., 6 p.m., depending on where you are in the world and that sort of thing. Uh, or it could mean a 24-hour period of time. Sometimes the context of the verse will tell you, but oftentimes it doesn't. So you don't know if that's a 24-hour fast or is that a 12-hour fast. What kind of fast it is is sometimes mentioned in the text, meaning food and water or just food. Most of the time it's food. Uh, it doesn't mention water. Some of the times it also includes water, fasting from water as well. So we're going to look at various kinds of fast, what were the purposes of fast, and the lengths of, of, those, of those fast. We find here the only commandment in scriptures, the only direct commandment in scriptures to fast. And we find it here in Leviticus 16, 29 to 31. It's also repeated in Leviticus 23, 32, where we learned that this particular fast was from evening under the Jewish calendar, their, their day began at sunset to the next sunset. So we typically think of midnight to, to midnight as our day. They had evening to evening. So the fast under the, the, the law of Moses was from evening the, on one day to evening to the next. 
And this shall be a statute forever under you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourns among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by statute forever. So a couple of things that we know that on the seventh month, so we would, we would say uh, July 10th of every month you're going to do this. And it's also going to be a Sabbath. So you're going to have to observe everything that they would typically observe on the Sabbath, whether it was on Tuesday or Friday or Saturday. It didn't matter. It was a, it was a Sabbath to them. And you were to fast this one time a year from evening to evening. So we, we come forward now, and like I said, that's the only commandment, but there's lots of examples of fasting in the Old Testament. We're going to cover some of those and come back to that. Jesus talked about it here. The, the disciples came to him and said, you know, the Pharisees fast oft, uh, and, and uh, we, the, the, uh, the disciples of John, uh, fast oft, but thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said to them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. I really struggle with, is this an expectation of Jesus or is it a command? And I say yes <laughs> at the end of the day. If Jesus is expecting something, I'm going to take it as a command. If he's expecting it, then I'm going to, I'm going to give it. I'm going to do it. Uh, so here the Pharisees fast off. They typically fasted on Monday and Wednesdays, twice a week. The Pharisees did anyway. Uh, others may have fasted in different forms and, and fashions and so forth, but they would fast very ritualistic on, on Monday, what we call Monday and Wednesday, they call the second and fifth day, Monday, Wednesday, second and fifth day. Uh, but Jesus is laying out here an expectation, I'll say command or I'll say yes, uh, that, that there was coming a time that they would fast, that we would fast. We look at the Apostle Paul, and, and here you could say, well, he's specifically talking about the leadership of a, of a church or a group of people. He says, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. For in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. And he goes on with some other things, and I just want us to focus in on the... On the um, the fasting part for now. But it was a part of them approving themselves as the ministers of God. So is this here applying to the apostles and the evangelists that were traveling with him, uh, other officers of a local congregation, elders and deacons, maybe teachers? Is that who he's talking about? Or is he talking about all of us who are ministers of God? And we all are ministers of God in, in the global sense. Uh, but fasting was a part of that, and certainly there is uh, an expectation of the Apostle Paul that that would be, uh, would be happening as well. So we have that example. Here's three examples. Uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they all fasted for 40 days. Specifically, it mentions food and water. Uh, if you read the text, there seems to be something miraculous going on there, okay? So keep that, keep that in mind. 
Uh, also, Elijah was told by the angel to arise and eat, and that that nourishment would last him the 40 days. So maybe something miraculous going on there uh, with Jesus. It mentions food, that he fasted uh, for 40 days and nights. Uh, water is not mentioned, so maybe he drank water during that time. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. The text doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us. So here's some other examples. We'll go through several examples here as well, just to give us an idea of the different kinds of fasting and the length and those sorts of things. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. He had just received a vision that was speaking of, of the end of, of Judaism, if you will. Um, and so he was really troubled by that. And uh, so he mourned three full weeks, 21 days. He says, I ate no pleasant bread, neither flesh nor wine came into my mouth. Okay, so this possibly was just a restrictive diet. Maybe it was stale bread and water. Maybe that's what he had for these 21 days. Try that sometime and see if you're not <laughs> hungry when it's, when it's over. But it was a restrictive diet. It wasn't a total, total fast, but it was a partial fast. And we'll see a reference that we're going to come back to about Daniel as well. Here, Israel as a corporate body, as a, as a, as a country, gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and, and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So symbolically, they pulled the water that they would have been drinking. They poured it out on the ground and they, they fasted. We don't know, is this a 24-hour fast? Is it a 12-hour fast? or something shorter than a 12-hour fast. Well, it was already in the day when they poured the water out, and then they fasted. Maybe they fasted till the evening. Maybe they fasted till the next morning. Text doesn't, doesn't tell us, but they fasted as a corporate body, as a country, and they, they fasted from water and from food. Here's a couple of other examples from the Apostle Paul. Um, he, was, he saw the vision of Christ, and Christ told him to go into Damascus, and it would be told what he's to do there. And so he spent three days in prayer and in fasting, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So here was three days. He didn't eat anything. He didn't drink anything. Pretty rough. Pretty rough to fast like that for three, for three days, but, but he did. And... Uh, that we find in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he's talking about some of the, the afflictions that he and those that were traveling with him went through. And he talked about it. There were times that he was in hunger and thirst. So there were times where there was no food. Maybe he couldn't afford food. There was no food available. He was hungry. That is not a fast because he was hungry. Nor is it a fast because he was thirsty. He was hungry and thirsty because there was no food available uh, at the time for him to eat. Uh, but then he goes on and says, in fastings often. So you see the contrast there. Fasting is something different than just being hungry or just being thirsty. It's, a, it's something that's done on purpose with purpose. And we'll talk more about that, especially when we get into Isaiah 58. Okay. Uh, here we don't know. It says fastings often. Uh, what were the links of them? Were they daytime, 24-hour? Was there three days, seven days, et cetera? Paul was a Pharisee before he was a Christian, and he would have been accustomed to fasting two days a week. So maybe he could maintain that afterwards. There's some early church, uh, say, church writings. There's some ancient writings that involve some church people uh, in the second century that talked about the routine of fasting, and they were warning the members to not fast on the second and fifth day like the, 
they called them the hypocrites, referring to the Jews, uh, but to, rather to, to fast on Tuesday and Thursday so you don't get mixed up with the hypocrites. It's the way the, the writing was. That's not biblical text. It's not canon of scriptures. I just share that as fasting being on the mind of, of the early church and church members, not saying they were wording it well or participating in it correctly. No commentary there. Um, we find examples of the leaders at the Antioch congregation. They had prophets and teachers at this church. They had Paul the apostle there as well. And in Acts 13, 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So it appears that in the early church, or at least in the church at Antioch, the, the leaders of that church, fasting was a routine part of uh, their ministry. Now, ministering to the Lord, I find, is an interesting concept. The Lord wasn't there, so who were they ministering to? They were ministering to the bride of Christ, and so they were serving the bride of Christ. That's each other. So as they ministered to the Lord, they were really what they were really doing was serving the bride of Christ. Therefore, they were serving the Lord because they were serving Christ. Now, to complete that thought, we see an example of what I'm referred to as sending. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for a work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So I refer to this as a sending service. They weren't necessarily ordaining anyone, uh, but they were, they were setting them apart for a specific work, and they sent them. You will remember examples of that from our congregation with Timothy and with Wayne and others that that we have sent to do a work. We've also done that in order, ordaining evangelists and so forth as well, to send them then to go do the work. Sometimes those are combined into one service where there's the ordination and the sending together. We find it in the ordination of elders as well. And, and when they had ordained them, this is Acts 14, 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they have believed. So it's involved in the ordination of elders, and I would submit that with that it should apply to deacons and so forth as well. Whenever there's people being set apart to do a certain work, fasting ought to be a part of that consideration as the as the church and the leadership prepares for it. What about calling a fast? Uh, I mentioned in my introduction that there will come a time that we're going to mention to the to the congregation and, and ask them to fast with us as we approach the the uh, the ordination service, if if there is one, and if there are men that the congregation support to serve as an elder or a deacon, and then we would have that service and in preparation for that, we would ask the congregation to pray with us. So we're going to look at several examples where a fast was called or proclaimed. Okay, Second Chronicles twenty-two to four. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, "There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on the other side of Syria." So this is a national distress uh, time period. The armies are amassing on the borders. They're getting ready to come in and, and, and attack you. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Several key phrases there that are involved in this process. There's a national distress. This is a big deal. 
And uh, Jehoshaphat as king at the time is one that had authority to, to put out this call and this proclamation to do this. And Judah res responded. And they, what were they trying to do? They were seeking the Lord and they were asking help of the Lord. So that was included in this fast. And I meant to say this in the introduction. While I'm talking about fasting as a siloed subject, you cannot separate fasting from prayer. It's, it's just the way it is. You can separate uh, fasting from prayer, but not prayer from fasting. Okay, if that makes sense to you, they, they go hand in hand. When, when fasting is there, prayer is a part of that process. Seeking the Lord and, and other things that we're going to talk about when we get to Isaiah 58. Ezra, uh, they have now returned from captivity and they're, they are uh, trying to rebuild the, the, the city walls and the temple and a lot of things going on. It says, then I proclaimed a fast. Ezra doing this as a prophet, the scribe, that we might afflict ourselves before God to seek of him a right way for us and our little ones and for all our substance. So we fasted and besought our God for this and he was entreated of us. So he proclaimed a fast. And what was it? Why were they doing that? To seek a right way. And we can equate that to some of the things that we go through in life with job opportunities and and where we're going to go to college and just a variety of things that we want to seek a right path. We want to make sure that we make a right decision. That's another reason why we think it's so important to include that in the process of, uh, of ordaining leadership in a congregation. We, we're seeking a right way. We want to make a good decision as a congregation as who we're going to put in leadership roles and give responsibility and authority to as a congregation. Um, and he says that he was entreated, so there was a there was a response. And for the rest of the story, you're going to pull out your Bibles and read it and study it later, and you'll get the rest of that story. Uh, Esther, what a what a beautiful story this was. Um, she was 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 picked to to be a queen uh, of the king at the time, and he did not know she was a Jewish and a Jewish woman and a Hebrew and. She didn't reveal that to him. And there's conversations going on in the background. There's a lot of deception uh, on uh, people that were against the Jews and the Hebrews, wanted to, wanted to wipe out, basically commit genocide, at least in that region, and kill every single Jew. Well, Esther was told, told about, or a statement was said to her, maybe you're here for just a time as this, right? just a time as this. And so they said, you need to go in and talk to the king. And she goes, it's not lawful for me to do that. I could be put to death, et cetera. And there's discussion back and forth. The, the Jews in that area, thousands and thousands of Jews in that region or that area or the whole, the whole kingdom. I don't know exactly the extent that this ruling would have went to, but thousands of Jews were, their lives was on the line. And so this is what she did in calling for a fast for a purpose. She said, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. So she's asking them to not eat or drink water or any other liquid, to not eat any nourishment, nothing for three days, all of the Jews to do that. Big call, big request, but it was a big issue. It's an important issue. And not only that, 
she is putting her own life on the line and she may get killed as well. She said, I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law and if I perish, I perish. And for the rest of that story, you get to go read it. So, uh, But this is an example of this. This is a personal distress, but it's also, in this case, a national distress as well for her people. Jeremiah, and we kind of put together some pieces for brevity's sake. Uh, God has told um, Jeremiah, Get a scroll, and I want you to write all the words that I have spoken against Israel from the time of King Josiah to this day. And I want you to write all the things that I have against them in this book. And then I want it to be read to everyone. Okay? So that happened, and he says, God speaking to Jeremiah, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and sin. It may be that they will present their supplication uh, before the Lord. And so he's warning Jeremiah, and he actually used another person to go out and actually read it to, to people. And so for Barak or Baruch, B-A-R-A-C-H, to go out and to, uh, to read this to all the people. And so he did that. And how did the people respond? They responded. They proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. Now, there's a fascinating ending to this story, but you're going to have to go read it because <laughs> there's not time today. Um, I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll tell you the end of it. He also went to the king. King looked at it, flipped through it, threw it in the fire. How sad. How sad. But the rest of the people did just what they were asked to do. They repented and they prayed and they fasted. Not a happy ending for that king, by the way. Spoiler alert. We talked about Daniel, how he was mourning and chasing himself with this 21-day restrictive diet fast or restrictive fasting. The angel says, thy words were heard. David, Psalm 35, 13, humbled himself and as a process, prayer returned to him. So now let's get into Isaiah 58. And, and the text you're going to see on the screen is from the New King James Version. Um, you can follow along in, in the King James, the Pew Bibles, et cetera, your own Bible or your own electronic Bible, whatever you have. You can follow along with it. Uh, and I'm, I'm the one that's saying a conversation with God because it's really God speaking, but he's carrying on as if there's a conversation between him and, and the people of Israel. So that there's a back and forth that we want to we wanna talk through. So he tells Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. So he's giving Isaiah a charge and he's telling him to, to go tell the people and to proclaim it. Be loud and clear with what their transgressions are. And then he says to Isaiah, God is saying, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. So he says, you know, they make a big show of it. They talk a good game. They act like they're righteous and they act like they're seeking my will, but they're really not. They, they, they're doing it as a nation that did righteousness, but they are a nation that does unrighteousness. 
They do it as, uh, as if they haven't forsaken the ordinance of their God, but yet they have been uh, uh, violating the ordinance of their God. So God is speaking on their behalf and says, Why have we fasted, say they, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So they ask this, this question of, you know, we're not getting anything back from you here. We're serving you. We're, we're fasting and we're praying. We're approaching to you. But we feel disconnected. We don't understand what's going on. You know, Paul talked to, I mean, not Paul, but, but Peter wrote to husbands uh, and it, in one of his epistles and said that he needed to live with, or he, he said that husbands need to live um, in an understanding way with their wives. And if they don't live in an understanding way with their wives, their prayers are hindered. So it's like the prayers don't get past the ceiling. There's no, there's no connection there. And that's what's happening here. These people are fasting and they're they're acting like they've done righteousness and, and they're not getting anything back. Well, it's because they weren't living in righteousness. They were forsaking the ordinances and so forth. So God now answers them. In fact, in the day of your feast, you find pleasure. You exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with a fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Uh, is this, is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the, to the Lord? And so, you know, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that's going on here. Jesus condemned it as well in Matthew 6 in his Sermon on the Mount. He talked about, just prior to that, he talked about, um, people making for pretense on these long prayers and doing it out on the street corner to be seen of, of men. He says, I tell you, they have, their, they have their reward for that. And about giving alms and doing good deeds for those that are, those that are poor. And, and they make a big show of it. And, you know, so they, they want to get attention and, and people's applause and glory from men and so forth. And he says, I tell you, they have their reward. And then he talks about fasting. He says, don't disfigure your faces like the hypocrites do so that they can appear to men to be fasting. So this bulrush and ashes and sackcloth is what, you know, they're, they're spreading it out in front of everybody and they're, they're wanting people to see how miserable they are in their fast and their suffering uh, as they approach God and the misery that they're in, all of those sorts of things. And uh, he says, well, would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? This isn't what he's wanting in a fast. So now he's going to transition to telling them what kind of fast. And this applies in concept to us as well. So he says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? So God is saying, this is the kind of fast that I've chosen. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. See, what this is, is personal spiritual benefits of fasting. So you may have a sin problem. You may have an addiction. Maybe it's uh, gluttony or alcoholism or whatever, pornography. You may be addicted to any of those kinds of things. Fasting is, a, the, the fast that he has chosen is to help us to break those bonds, to break that yoke is to take the oppression of sin and the consequences of sin 
out of our life and that that ought to be a focus of ours. It's about our relationship to God. It's about restoration. It's about repentance to God. That's the kind of fast that he wants. He wants the fast that is going to focus on you rebuilding, reestablishing, making that connection to God over your, over your issues. This is a time to be selfish or self-centered, if you will. It's to be focused on your relationship to God. That's the kind of fast that he, he has chosen so that you can break every yoke and undo these heavy burdens. And there's all kinds of sins and problems that we have, jealousy, envy, there, any number of things that you could put in the category that fasting will help you with if you, if you focus on your issue and your relationship to God. That's what he's asked for. And he's telling us a second part to it. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from, from your own flesh? So this is what I title or what I call benevolent spiritual benefits. So you're going to fast to address these issues but guess what? When you fast to address these issues or you have a regular fast that you do, there are resources that you're not spending on yourself when you're doing this. And he's saying here that you take those resources that would have been used up here, you use them down here. All of us have limited resources. Every one of us, as far as I know, is on a on a fixed income. I love it when they talk about that on TV. Well, you know, they're a fixed income. Well, I, I guess unless you're a multi-billionaire, you know, something like that. All of us are fixed on our income and we work our budgets to establish a lifestyle that's comfortable for us, that allows us to make good decisions and, and hopefully church and those sorts of things are a big part of that, all those decisions you make. So you budget X amount of dollars for the food you eat whether that's going out to eat or whether you're eating groceries. And so what he's saying here is the fast that I appreciate, the fast that I have chosen includes using those resources that you would have spent on yourself to help someone else. In this time and, 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 and age, maybe it would be, you know, those cans of beans and stuff or whatever the groceries you put in the grocery snack and you take it to someone you know that hasn't eaten. Or if you don't know someone that has a need, you take it to a food bank where it's distributed to needy people. God will be well pleased with that if you if you do that. Uh, that's what he's saying here. And maybe they maybe another way it talks about bringing the poor into your house, or uh, if they're naked and uh, cover them, give them clothes. You take what what you would have spent on what you would have eaten yourself during that fast, and you. Put it in the envelope. You put it somewhere separately. You let that build up to where, and you keep your eyes open for a need or a, a, a or something that you can help with. And then you have the resources to be able to respond to that. God is well pleased if you, if you use those resources that you would have spent on yourself during this fast to help the hungry, benevolent, spiritual needs. So... There's other benefits because he says, then, so if you do these things, you focus on the personal spiritual benefits, you focus on the benevolent spiritual benefits, you focus on those two things, look what happens. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, 
Then your healing shall spring forth speedily. Then your righteousness shall go before you. Then the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I love that passage. I love this. The Lord will be your rear guard. Where do predators attack the prey for the most part? They come from behind them, right? They don't typically just go charging right directly into them uh, if they are a prey. Now, I know other animals will fight and so forth over other situations, but if you're being attacked from a predator and you're the prey, which is what we are, uh, Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so God is saying, if you fast the way I'm talking about, one of the benefits of that is the glory of the Lord is going to be your rear guard. He's going to be watching your six. He's going to be watching out for you. That's part of the, part of the deal. Your righteousness go before you and so forth. But that's not all. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. The prayers will not stop at the ceiling anymore. You're going to be connected because you have, you have repented and you have reattached your relationship to God in the way that, that pleases him. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Fasting properly is so important that he repeats and rewords the blessings. So the next few verses... The second half of 9, 10, 11, and 12 basically rewords what we've just said. We're going to look at it. He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, you have to go back earlier in what he's talking about. If you focus on the personal spiritual blessings and your relationship to me, if that's your focus in the fast, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, if your focus is on using those resources in benevolent spiritual ways to bless other people, if you're doing these things, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as a noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up raise up the, the foundations of many generations. You, sh you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What great titles, what great ways to be referred to. Would you like to have that as the epitaph on your, on, your, on your headstone or on your little plaque that will be out in the memory garden? He was a repairer of the breach. He was a restorer of the streets to dwell in. What, what great ideas. You know, when we read things like um, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when it, in regards to fasting, it makes you feel like nobody can know that I'm fasting. It would be wrong for me, for anyone to know that I'm fasting. And that's just not a correct interpretation of what Jesus is saying. What he's saying there is if you are seeking the glory of men by your fasting, that's your reward. It's the glory of men. It's not going to have anything to do with me or anything I'm going to do for you. It's the same with prayer. He tells us to go into a closet to pray. Does that mean we can't pray in public or we can't pray and people know we're praying? Of course we can. Uh, same with almsgiving. We just, well, we haven't yet, but we're going to take a collection in a little while and some of you are going to put stuff in the tray. Are you sinning by putting something in the tray? Other people saw you put something in a tray. Somebody else saw you bring out your app and they think you're donating. And probably you are uh, donating via the app, which we can do here. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if you seek glory of men in any of these things, you're not getting my glory. 
And so what he has done in, in Isaiah 58 is lay out for us the kind of fasting that he receives, the kind of fasting that he connects with, the kind of fasting that he will respond to. And, it, and whenever you're in sync with God, great blessings flow out of your life and they impact your family and they impact your community. They impact your congregation and, and people see it. They see that you're a watered garden and a spring of waters whose waters do not fail. They see those things, and it's not sinful for them to see it. It's sinful for you if that's why you're doing it. And we don't want to do it that way. But yet we want to be a fasted and a praying people, and we need to do that in our, in our life. So that's our study on, on fasting. And I hope some of the things that we've talked about it picked your, uh, your interest, piqued your interest, and that you'll consider this. You'll do some more studying and research. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.